This week on the Recruitment Flex, lazy girl jobs. Do you have one? Netflix posts a 900K AI job. Should the Writers Guild be nervous? And is it illegal to ask candidates if they have Canadian experience? Plus, line hiring. We talk about the potential pitfalls. TRF starts after this message from our partner, Van Hack. Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. VanHack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. VanHack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. Van Hack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join Van Hack today. Yeah, visit Van Hack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, how are you? I'm doing good. This summer is just turning out to be fabulous. It really is. Oh my goodness. Yeah, the weather's been great. It's been extremely busy summer for me with everything Mm -hmm. going on and managing the girls, but it's been a fantastic summer. Also, you know what's been fantastic, Shelly, is the guests that we've had on the Recruitment Flex. We released Chris Foreman's episode this week and it mm. got tons of interest and the downloads are just insane on it. So obviously a lot of industry folks were really curious to what Chris Foreman had to say, but we also have some great interviews coming up. We have Stephen O'Donnell from TA Tech, Omar mm-hmm. from Job Pixel, and there's a long list of them. So fantastic guests coming up, Shelly. Yes, it's been great fun. I re-listened to the episode that you released on Monday of us with Chris Foreman. And I'm still amazed at just how absolutely candid he was. It was like sitting in his living room and him talking to us like friends about what it means to acquire Bayard and his approach. Honestly, I felt like we were right there with him. (laughs) It was an amazing experience. I tell you, having the podcast has opened up relationships that otherwise could never have existed. I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful for our audience and the interactions that we get with our audience. It's like having friends all over the world. It is. And I had some exchanges with AppCast employees. And I'm like, you guys are really lucky. And they're like, we know, we know he is awesome to work for. And it's pretty obvious. It was my favorite part of that interview. When we asked him, or sorry, when you asked him about how is he going to measure success six months from now, the very first thing without a hesitation was that his employees are happy. Yes. He didn't start with X millions more or trillions. No, 
his measure of success is happy employees. Wow. And I think he's really authentic and I Mm -hmm. feel like he's saying the truth and that is his number one priority. On another note, talking about CEOs, did you Mm -hmm. see the LinkedIn announcement? Adam Gordon is on a boat. He looks like Napoleon just trying to take over the UK or something with a France shirt. He was announcing with Mike Hughes, who is the CTO at Candidate ID, a new company called Poetry. First of all, do you like the name Poetry? Is that a good HR tech name? It's different. I thought it was very interesting that a a Scottish guy would be dressed like a Frenchman. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. He's trying to find some way to spend all this money he made. For those that don't know, Adam Gordon is the ex-CEO of Candidate ID that sold, it must be a year ago, to iSims. And he's been doing a lot with recruiter enablement. So I'm going to make an assumption that the company Poetry is something to do with helping recruiters. But that's just my assumption. Okay, so that's really vague. That's not telling us anything. And neither did his announcement. It was a great teaser. For those of us who know and admire him, having built a very successful company, do you think he's going to be at HR Tech? I'm going to assume no, but let's see. Let's see. Adam, if you're listening, let us know. Are you going to be at HR Tech or RecFest? Let's see. Shelly, last week you brought in a new term called organizational hygiene. Well, I have a new one for you. And it's called lazy girl jobs. It's a new trend on TikTok. So a lazy girl job is something you just can quiet quit. There's a lot of jobs out there. You can make 60 to 80K and not do that much work and be remote. So this particular person that shared this TikTok is really focusing on remote jobs that are working nine to five and are pretty simple, pretty easy to do and pay well. It sounds really bad when you hear lazy girl jobs, but she argues that how we look at work and how Gen Z is like, we want a different experience from work. We don't see work as the core of our existence. We see it as a part of what we do. So the easiest job that we can have that we're delivering value and we can also have a very vibrant life outside of work is very important to them. So have you seen any of these TikTok videos, Shelley? I did. I watched a bunch of them and I was mortified. Were you? Because yes, yeah, I was. If this is not fuel for corporate CEOs to slam the door on remote work, this is their case in point where someone who's, ah, I get an email, I respond, you know, yeah, it's a nine to five schedule. This scares me especially with 17 million views on this topic. I believe the days of remote work for admin are about to come to a screeching halt. Well, TikTok has not helped the work from home a trend because even before we started seeing layoffs and mandating a return to office, we had a bunch of TikTok videos of people that worked at fan companies that were going, here's the day of my life. And basically it was a day of leisure. It was like spending half of the day working in a coffee shop and going and meeting your friends for lunch. It just seemed very slow pace. And I think that scared a lot of CEOs and this will scare CEOs as well. But that context of quiet quitting, right, which doesn't mean 
that you're working less. You're just working the hours that you're paid for. It's like, hey, work is not the core of what I do. I want more out of life. But to your point, a lot of CEOs are going to see this and be like, no, no, you got to come back in the office. No more lazy girl jobs. And I was wondering, is there lazy boy jobs? Because I think they're exactly the same jobs. Well, good point. If this does not set women back to the 1950s, I don't know what will. The fact that they would even call themselves lazy and be proud of it, that basically they're taking advantage of their employer. You know me, I'm about results. So if you said you'd get something done by a specific time, I trust that you will. But this coming right out and proudly calling themselves these lazy girl jobs, it's just, it's like you set us back to the 1950s where for some reason you have no ambition. Like, oh my God, it just, it made me sick. Made me cringe. Yeah. Talking about no ambition, jump into the next one. (laughs) This one hit me from a different angle. In China, there is a trend right now of kids getting paid a salary from their parents to be a stay-at-home daughter. Sons and daughters of working age, so we're talking like the 25 to 35, like the employable age, who just don't want to go out and find a job. They interviewed one young woman and she just found it was too hard to find a job. So she just decided to, what they're calling, lie flat. That's a new term. It's going to go on a t-shirt as well. A way of living that is more simple, away from grueling work hours. So her parents pay her the equivalent of what's minimum wage to do chores around the house, take her parents' grocery shopping, and help care for her elderly grandma. Very concerning because when you think who can afford to do this, it would be probably the most wealthy of, of families that could afford to pay their children to stay home. Well, Shirley, when I was reading this, I thought of you because obviously you have a daughter close to working age and you have elderly parents that you spend a lot of time taking care of. And I'm like, it might be just easier for you to hire Brooklyn to be everything, right? Like your personal assistant, helping you take care of your parents and also take care of all your household duties. And you have a lot running a business, doing this podcast and taking care of two elderly plus three kids. Obviously, Brooklyn is the only one staying at home. This is a perfect situation for you. I guarantee you before the end of the year, Brooklyn is going to be employed by Shelly. Do you know, it's funny. I don't pay her, but we joke. And when people ask, oh, so what's Brooklyn up to? I said, she's a full-time stay-at-home daughter. Is she not working right now? What she is she? But they give her like a four-hour shift on a Monday and another four-hour shift. She's in retail. But anyways, I did chuckle because that's jokingly what I refer to Brooke as. But. Shelly, how about we jump in the news? Okay. Well, let's start with this first. Very interesting. Netflix started a mob. People were so mad. As we know, Hollywood actors and writers are currently on strike, mostly about wages. Netflix, being completely insensitive to what is happening in the industry, decides to post a job for a machine learning platform team, a new position, helping viewers pick new programs to watch. And get this, 
they posted the pay range. It was $900,000 a year. Well, why people are striking? Because AI and the fear of AI replacing humans is part of what's underlying the wages, but also job security fears. It was just like, oh my gosh, tone deaf? Come on. Why would you post that now? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. It is a product manager role reporting into the machine learning platform team. And the range is actually quite broad. It's 300K to 900K at the high end. And I totally get where they're coming from, right? But I also don't think they understand the reality of what's going on and how AI is affecting every profession in the world. And if you look at copywriting, it's one that's extremely vulnerable. But I don't think it's tone deaf, Shelley. If you look at what they're hiring for, it's going to help generate content, but they're really downplaying that side of it. It's so algorithm driven. There's a lot of AI that can help in that. So I do not blame Netflix to go the next steps in hiring the machine learning personnel that they do need moving forward. But the flip side to it, and this is where Shelly, I'm a little bit, I, I don't know if I understand this correctly. And obviously I'm not an artist, but if you think about content that you want to watch, like a show is art, television, movies, this is art. And art really comes from the heart, right? As we know, AI, especially generative AI, is taking from things that have already been published before compared to a human. Like we create original content. We take from other sources as far as IDs or anything like that, but it is original content. So I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence, right? I see the plight of the writers, but I'm also like, guys, this is the reality for every occupation in the world that's going to have to deal with. And you chose acting, which we need actors. Don't get me wrong, but it's not exactly the most stable profession in the world. Have you seen Black Mirror? I have not. Oh, okay. To add to the fears of where AI could be going for actors, if you've not watched it, watch the latest Black Mirror episode where you sign off the likeness of your image and they can create complete artificial intelligence of you. But where they get the content is from the user. The fear is like you sign up to Netflix and for some reason, in some way, your phone records what's happening in your real life. And then they use an AI-generated actor, a famous actor, Salma Hayek in this case, to act out your life and what happened to you that day. And it comes on Netflix and you can see somebody else, a very famous actress, but they're not actually acting. It's all using artificial intelligence. That's fear in the heart of many because it's not that far-fetched. No, it's not far-fetched. And if I was a writer right now, I'd be very scared. The flip side to it is I know like this business model has been foisted upon themselves and they really didn't have a choice, but that's the reality for every type of business. It's going to be very difficult for them. And how do you figure out, how do you stand out? How do you make content that is way better than AI is what they're going to need to figure out. They're really discussing the challenges that AI is going to bring to them. And they do feel that the algorithm has too much power. 
And it probably does, right? Compared to the days that we had to change channels to go watch the show. Now everything is targeted for us in a short burst. So we will see. Okay. On another note, when it comes to AI, the AIM group reported a couple of days ago that LinkedIn is reportedly working on AI coach for job seekers. App researcher Nima Ojui reported on X, formerly Twitter. He put a screenshot introducing LinkedIn coach, apply for job, learn new skills, and find more ways to connect with your network. All backed by the power of AI. The chatbot suggests questions that users can ask and is likely to help in finding and apply for jobs in a conversational way. This is nothing new. So LinkedIn already operates LinkedIn Coaches, which has a pretty strong community. And if you look at recruiting or hiring in general, it's 50% of LinkedIn's revenue. So they're trying to find other ways that they can generate revenue. And we both feel that exploiting job seekers in any way when it comes to looking for job is not a good idea. So I'm assuming this is going to be launched that if you have a premium account, sales navigator, the job seeker one, or even LinkedIn recruiter, you're going to have access to this. So what was your thought? Any surprises here, Shelley? Did it say what it was going to charge? No, it didn't say anything. It's not officially launched. This was kind of leaked out from someone who had access to this. But judging by how LinkedIn has done similar things in the past is leveraging the premium subscription it usually gives access to these types of tools. So I guess we'll have to wait to find out more when they officially launch it. But it's interesting that they're focusing on a job seeker in that way. I have nothing against it because we are polluted with thousands of career coaches on LinkedIn, Instagram that know nothing about finding people jobs and they are giving bad information to job seekers. So if this tool based on LinkedIn's data can give better information, better questions to ask, I'm all for it. Well, it's all chatbot driven. Yes. I don't have a lot of confidence, even though it may be based on algorithms or AI within LinkedIn. A chatbot, okay, nothing new there. There's no evidence in LinkedIn to say they will ever get it right for job seekers. There just isn't. Even the simplest things like the jobs that it notifies me that I'm qualified for are just ridiculous. Like an operations manager for a helicopter manufacturing firm. What? Like, where on earth would it come up with this? But it does. It sends me these suggestions. So do I have a whole lot of confidence that they're going to give you good advice? No, well, I'm going to tell you because you don't have that skill listed on your profile. Oh, here's some courses you can take. No, I that's LinkedIn coach. It's a little bit. It's you're asking a question. Okay, I'm interviewing with this particular company. What questions should I ask? That's where it's going to help you. And those are the key questions that you can ask an interview, where to look for jobs. And to your point, LinkedIn's job recommendation is not great. It is the best. It is a thousand times better than Indeed. Obviously, it's a very low bar, but Indeed is horrible as well. And most job boards, when it comes to job recommendation, absolutely horrible. So I agree LinkedIn is bad at that, but they're still probably the best in the industry. So, so have you had recommendations lately from Indeed? I have. Since, and they're... since they launched the Indeed hiring platform, the invite to apply is now coming from the employer when they post the job. The employer has looked at 
like a little mini profile and can add you to an invite to apply. So it's not really AI. Well, then it's even worse because two days ago I got construction manager. Like what in my profile would ever say anything about construction manager? I got Zamboni driver, which that's like a dream job. So I was interested in that one. The recommendations have been worse. And you are right. It says it's coming from the employer. There's no way it's coming from the employer. This has to be technology driven because I've gone 20 and not one has anything to do with recruitment, with sales, not even close. It's actually worse than it's ever been. Yeah. So I can't comment on Indeed referrals, but I can certainly comment on LinkedIn because I live on LinkedIn. I've got it open always and I'm interacting with it all the time. You never comment on any of my updates or even like my updates. Well, if you're on LinkedIn and you see something from me, probably you should. But Shelly, I want to jump into the tip of the week. Okay. So tip of the week. I would like to poll the audience to find out how many of us recruiters out there ever stop to ask the candidate, the job seeker, how they want to be communicated with. Because if you think people want a phone call from you, they may. Some people prefer email. But I would almost bet you a loony right now that most people are going to say text is the best way to communicate with me. The tip of the week is this. When you're working with candidates, ask them how they would like to be communicated with. Yeah, Shelly, I think it's a really good tip because a lot of times recruiters will come out and say, hey, if I'm interviewing you, I will call you to give you the next steps, rejection or moving forward. And we make the assumption that's what the candidates want. And we probably dread it as recruiters when it's negative and we're not moving them forward. Guess what? The candidate probably wants a text. And Shelly, no one wants to communicate over email. So I doubt that's the case. But yes, to your point. Well, you got to ask. There exactly. Be, we're, we're working in a very low unemployment market. So most of the job seekers or candidates we're working with are working. And if you're getting a phone call at work, everybody knows you're probably interviewing versus a text message is a little more discreet. Yes, I prefer a text message when it comes to any type of communication. But just ask your candidates. First process, like as we're moving forward, what is your preferred method of communication? And they will tell you and follow that. Yeah. Shelly, let's jump into the recruiting insights. Okay. So we're going to start with something that seems really obvious to most, but may not be to everyone. And the question posed to us is this, is it illegal for employers to ask new Canadians about their lack of Canadian work experience? Now, to me, logically, but again, I need to step back because I've been in recruitment my entire professional life. But if anybody's got a question mark around this, the answer is super clear. According to the Canadian Human Rights Act, it is illegal for federal sector employees to ask a candidate about the protected grounds, which is age, sex, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, family status, race, color, religion, and mental or physical disability. 
So most employers in Canada are considered private or governed by provincial legislation rather than federal. However, the provincial law generally mirrors the federal one. Like we have Alberta human rights as well as there is federal. A tribunal was held that Canadian experience questions may constitute discrimination unless that kind of experience is a real and legitimate occupational requirement. When employers requires an applicant applying for a job to have Canadian experience, it can be considered discrimination based on the grounds under race, ancestry, place of origin, and ethnic origin, which seems completely logical to me. The answer is, no, you can't, unless it is a bona fide requirement of the job. For example, a surgeon. Yep. Or an accountant. You kind of need to know Canadian tax law. That is not immediately transferable. But if you post on the job, must have Canadian experience, I would caution organizations not to be doing that. Why would you have to? Aren't you looking at their resume? Aren't you looking at their LinkedIn profile? It's going to be very clear if they have Canadian experience or not. There is absolutely no reason that you should be asking that question because if you are, you're a fucking idiot because literally you can look at their resume. It's going to be very clear. What happens if they don't have a resume? Well, it's similar as you're talking to them. You can ask them about their experience, like experience is experience, Canadian or otherwise. So any employer that is asking this question is an idiot. And any employer that is putting this in the job act, because I am sure there's a lot of hiring managers or business owners, especially a small business, are like, we should put that in because we only want people with Canadian experience. Don't do it. Never do it. I recently saw it on a job. You recently saw it, really? I did. How was it phrased? Do you remember? Must have Canadian experience. Wow. And it was for a laborer. It's a complaint waiting to happen. I always say this, imagine you're standing in front of a tribunal of the Canadian Human Rights Act, and Mm. you need to explain to them the real and legitimate reason for this job that they must have Canadian experience. Could you defend it? Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's clear because actually I didn't really know until I read this article, like if you could ask that question, Not that I would ever, but now it's pretty clear. So everyone listening, never ask that question. Make sure it's not in your job descriptions. I do want to jump into the next recruiting insight because I think they tie in perfectly. CFC Big IDs, which I think is an organization in the UK, ran an experiment, which they did a fully blind hiring experiment. And for the audience, if you've never heard of blind hiring, it is a method where a candidate's identifying information is completely removed from the hiring funnel, from the job application to the final interview and hiring decision. The information being hidden includes name, age, gender, and ethnicity. This is done to prevent both conscious and unconscious bias that may affect hiring decision. So blind hiring has been around forever, Shelley, or at least the last 10 years, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's usually done at the first phase of the recruitment process. You're blanking out resumes until you get to the interview. And then obviously they see you in the interview. So now it's no longer blind hiring. 
What they did in this experiment was a little bit different. They went the whole way. They did a blind resume pre-screening. Then they did a blind interview. They completely used voice masking technology. So their voice was like when you see on those FBI videos, those special informants that they master voice. This is exactly what they did here. And at the end of the day, they hired someone without ever seeing them, without ever seeing their age, gender, race, sex. And this is the first that we've ever heard of a full blind hiring process. What was your thought process around this, Shelley? Interesting experiment. The whole idea of redacted resumes has always been the case. And our response to that is, well, you have to eventually meet this person. So I don't know if it's such a good idea because not only are you blind interviewing them, but so is the candidate. How are they able to properly assess and judge making a decision to join the organization? There's got to be some guardrails here because I don't know what the success would be like. You know, those dating shows where you don't see the person and you get to know them. What is the likelihood that when they meet, they actually develop a relationship? This is all very admirable. I understand giving people a fair opportunity without the conscious or unconscious bias. But once you meet someone in person, I don't know, it it seems too inhuman to me for both parties. Have you ever met someone where you immediately were like, this is somebody I am going to be friends with? Right? Not saying that's the best way to make a hiring decision. But when you meet someone in person, there's no substitute. There really isn't. Well, here are my concerns. It doesn't fix the underlying issue. Like the conscious bias is still there. So the employee starts and the hiring manager has a very deep unconscious or conscious bias about whatever it is. And they're not treated the same, right? They're getting into a position, a job that they probably would not have gotten hired otherwise. And that's not fair. So I'm not saying this is right or wrong. But it's getting to the point that we're still not fixing the underlying issue. So that person coming into the job might still face a ton of barriers and hurdles because of that bias. And I guess the question is, can we ever fix unconscious or conscious bias that we all have? Is that even possible? And honestly, I don't have the answer. And I don't think it is because we're always going to have bias across the board. So I love the experiment. I love that they're trying it. I love to see the data a year after, two years after, like, have these people had good experience at these jobs? Have they been successful? Have they been good employees? Are they still there after two years? That will tell me if this is going to work or not. I want to jump into the next recruiting insight. And Shelly, we've talked about returning to the office so many times. And I think the audience knows exactly where we stand. But there's been a couple of key things that have happened recently that I wanted to bring it up. So here in Calgary, there's two very large oil and gas employers that are going to be mandating full return to office after Labor Day. And then there is a slew, so three recent surveys that came out that really talk about the damaging consequences of mandating return to office. One of them was the Greenhouse Candidate Experience Report. 
The other one was the Federal Reserve Survey of Household Economics and Decision Making called SHED. And the third one was Unispace's Returning for Good Report. And I'll tell you, it paints a really stark picture that there is a brewing storm coming. Right now, I would say that we're in an employer-led job market. Would you agree with that, Shelley? It is. It's okay. true. This is going to shift, right? So Unispace found that nearly half, 42% of companies with return to office mandates witness a higher level of employee attrition than they had anticipated. And almost a third, 29% of companies enforcing office returns are struggling with recruitment. So the other stat here is a staggering 76% of employees stand ready to jump ship if their companies decide to pull the plug on flexible work schedules. I think what's happening here, Shelley, is obviously a lot of CEOs want people in the office. <laughs> and how is it different than in 2019 that working from home was kind of a plus for very few people that could do it? But guess what? We all got a taste of it and it all made sense, right? So I don't need to commute two, three hours a day, I can see my kids more, I'm a lot more effective, and we can argue on both sides, like a lot of CEOs will come out with different surveys that productivity has gone down, but then the flip side, there's a lot of data that shows us that productivity has gone up. Then they'll talk about culture, which is complete bullshit, because I can tell you, I have a lot of close friends that are going into the office and doing Zoom calls all day, because the other employees are in different markets, right? They're not actually interacting with people that are in the local office itself. So is it really good for culture? Is a cubicle good for culture? Probably not. So now you're saying, hey, you got to come back in the office full time, even if that was the norm before. It's like, you know, I don't think so. I think I'm pretty happy doing this. The other factor, and I see it like on a firsthand basis working in the job board, the jobs that are remote, are getting, oh, I would say almost a hundred times the amount of applications. Some companies are going to be, this is our competitive advantage. Everyone's mandating people to the office. This is going to be a recruitment drive. We are going to get really good talent. Work from home is not dead, guys. Like this is a temporary pause. Five years from now, it will be the norm again because companies are going to realize this is what employees want. And when the market shifts again, they're going to force it. What was your thought, Shelley? This was a great survey because it's not just a single source. Yeah. This is not just a matter of opinion or this is what's happening to me personally or even what's happening here locally. But more importantly, 76% of employees stand ready to jump ship if their companies decide to pull the plug on flexible work schedules. What I'm not seeing is, are they mandating 100% of the time, Monday to Friday, 40 hours a week? Or are they saying work from home is now the exception and not the rule? What we're talking about here is just purely the amount of people who would be ready to jump ship if you took away flexible work. That no. is, if there are days where I know I need heads down I'm going to be in Zoom meetings anyways. Why make somebody commute downtown? What we're also not talking about is just the positive impact on the environment. 
this is a commute issue. Coming down to an office in the downtown core, this is sending a strong message. And I do believe that there's a bit of belief within the big oil and gas companies that there's an understanding we're all going to do this. Yeah. And I'm not going to use the collusion word because that's not what I'm saying. But I believe there's a gentleman's agreement or a handshake going on between the major players in our province. And we saw it with pay transparency. As we all know, pay transparency got rolled right back to zero here in Canada. Yeah. You're not going to see it in Canada anymore. Why? Because they all pulled their jobs. They said, we're not going to play this game. And if you don't think these oil and gas companies have a lot of power, you're underestimating just how much influence they have politically and socially. I think there's more underneath that. I believe they've always had flexible work, but want people to be showing up in the office because they saw the TikTok video. Is that it? About earlier. So, Shirley. I'm going to call it collusion. Like you just completely give the description of collusion. So why not call it what it is? I guess this is just like a micro example of what we're probably seeing in every market, right? Like here in Calgary, oil and gas is the big driver of the economy. It's one of the biggest driver of the economy for Canada. And these companies have tons of power. First of all, they pay really well. Let's give them full credit. And they are competing for the same talent. And to your point, pay transparency was a perfect example. And I'm glad you confirmed that pay transparency in Canada has been rolled back. If you go on Indeed right now, you're seeing maybe 50% of the jobs have pay transparency. They have a lot of power, Shelley, and they are going to work together because a lot of companies, you have to be in the office usually three days. From what I'm hearing, this is going to full five days, 40 hours. You have to be in the office. It's removing the flexible option. And I can tell you, that's a pretty big deal breaker for a lot of folks. But they have the power right now in our local market because they pay on average 30 to 40% more. So the golden handcuffs, it's going to work for a while until the economy shifts again. On that note, Shelly, another fun episode. I guess you learn about lazy girl jobs. You now have a new job for Brooklyn so she can be a stay-at-home daughter. stay-at-home daughter. Yep. Love it. Shelly, have a fantastic week. And to your point at the start of the show, thank you, listeners. Thanks, Serge. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rec. TXT.com. Mention the recruitment flex and get 10% off annual plans. This is the last stop on this train. Everyone, please leave the train. Thank you for riding with MTA New York City Transit. 
What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Press Box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access. 